biggest weekend of the year. Millions of people will huddle around their screens to experience the world's greatest commercials. 30-second theology. It's big ads with bigger truth. <laughs> from that commercial if you guys are taking notes in there there's some fill in the blanks that you guys could follow along in the notes is this that laughter does the body good you guys ever heard the commercial that says milk does the body good well laughter does the body good as well who doesn't love a good laugh right who doesn't like to to laugh laughter is definitely something that we could all use a little bit more of in our lives think about it when was the last time that you laughed so hard that your gut hurt when was the last time that happened? And how did you feel? How did you feel after all that laughter? Chances are that you probably felt pretty good. And that's because laughter actually reduces stress hormones and increases the release of endorphins to our brain. Endorphins are those feel-good chemicals sent to the brain. And laughter is almost like a natural high that can even decrease pain. I guess that's why the proverb says this. Why don't we read this proverb out loud together? It's there in your notes, and it's up here on the screen as well. You guys ready? Read. Ready? Go. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Maybe that's why the proverb says that, because a joyful heart is good medicine. Let that sink in for a little bit. Let that sink in for just a moment. A joyful heart is good medicine. It is literally good medicine. If you're sad, if you're depressed, if you're angry, try laughter. Maybe it'll help. You know, another study showed that you're 30 times more likely to laugh when with friends. In other words, it's easier to laugh when there's others that are around you. Ever heard laughter's contagious? You ever heard of that? It's actually true. When you're with people, you're more likely to laugh. And guys, relationships are so important. Relationships are super important. You are never meant to do life alone. And the fact that you're more likely to laugh with the friends proves it. You know, that's why at Swerve, we push so much the relationship aspect of church. It's so important to us that we get together, that we build friendships and build relationships, and that the church is not just like family, that it is family. Because yes, we get together to worship and to sing. Yes, we get together to study the Bible. Yes, we get together to pray. But we also get together because relationship is so important. No man is an island. God created you with the need for community. You need it. And that's why life groups are so important to us. You know, by the way, we're, we're going to be kicking off our life groups, our spring groups, real soon. And you're going to be hearing me talk about that a whole lot. Because I'm going to be inviting you to join us for life groups. I'm going to be encouraging you to be a part of it. 
Because life groups, while there'll be a prayer, and yes, there'll be encouragement, and definitely there'll be some good food. You guys know it. And there'll be reading of scripture and all that. But I hope, I really hope that in life group, there's going to be a lot of laughter. Because laughter is good medicine. Look at what we read from Ecclesiastes, is wisdom literature in the Old Testament. It says this, Solomon was talking about that there's a time for every occasion under the sun, right? And he said this, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Of course, there's going to be times of sadness. Of course, there's going to be tears shed. Of course, there's going to be mourning. But there will also be moments, moments where we can laugh until our stomachs hurt. By God's grace, I pray and I hope that as a church, we can have many opportunities to laugh together. Because in so doing, we might just be able to live out what Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says. Look at what it says. Would you guys read this verse out loud with me before we go to the next commercial? Ready? Go. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. For this next commercial, we'll see the determination of a little mouse who didn't let a setback hold him back. Such a feeling's coming over me There is wonder in most everything I see Not a cloud in the sky Got the sun in my eyes And I won't be surprised if it's a dream I'm on the top of the world This is the end Beautiful friend This is the end My only friend The end Of our elaborate plans The just messed up everybody. I feel like throwing that against some push-ups going in right there. Man, threw it back a little bit with that commercial. I actually didn't know this commercial was really old. Several years old, actually. How many of you have seen it before? My first time seeing this, I was literally, asked my wife, rolling on the floor laughing. It was so funny. I told Danny Ryder, I was like, I gotta do this one. And he told me, bro, that commercial is like eight years old. I've never seen it. Man, but it was, um, I had to do that today. Anyway, so what is my main point? Those of you with your bulletins and taking notes, my main point for this commercial is don't give up. Give, get up and fight. Don't get, give up. Get up and fight. Just as that little mouse, it seemed as if he failed, right? Like for sure he was taking his final breaths hanging underneath that trap. But he was a determined little mouse, right? How about you guys? What do you have in your life that you are striving to accomplish? All right. Well, what will it take for you to accomplish those goals or those dreams that you have? And the last question, what are some traps that might be set up that is striving to strangle you and keep you down? Jesus said a lot about this life that we live in and the war of life. And he also says a lot about what he came to give us. So if you're taking notes, it's in your bulletin. John 10, 10, Jesus says this. He says, a thief comes only to steal 
and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. There are two things here that I want us to pull out from what Jesus said. And the first thing is true. We have an enemy. And that enemy is out to steal our joy. The enemy is out to steal and kill us, ultimately to destroy us, right? And our enemy has several tactics in life to do that, to to destroy us. And one of those things is to convince us to stay down. He wants to keep you entangled in your sin. He wants to keep you in a disobedience towards God to the point where you believe that there's just no way out in life, right? There's no way I can lift that up. There's no way I can get out from this trap. But the good news came in the second half of what Jesus said. Right in the second half, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What's the good news? He came. Hope arrived. Our Savior came. The one who's the source of our strength to lift up that bar. He has come to get it off our chin and get back up. In Hebrews 12, 1, it says, therefore, since we have also a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. How many of you today feel entangled by your sin? How many of us feel weighed down in life? But just like that mouse, we can take that that, that trap snap and Pick it right back over our neck, right? That's the effect of sin, though, in our lives. Just like that trap that our sin keeps us from lifting. Our sin keeps us from going to the Father. Our sin entangles us. It traps us. And no one here is free from that danger. The Bible says clearly that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is me. That is you. But he came. He came to set you and I free from this strangle of sin and death. Now, for you to run this race with endurance, there's a couple things we got to do. First, recognize that you are trapped in your sin. Recognize that sin seeks to strangle you and destroy you. And ultimately, sin kills and leads to death. But I end this commercial with one last scripture in 1 John 1, 9. says, Jesus said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you feel like you failed in your sin. Don't give up. Confess your sins. Get your eyes off of the trap that's before you, the situation all around you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And by his grace, get up and fight. Talking about forgiveness, why don't you guys check out this next commercial.
Don't let unforgiveness hold you hostage. Don't let unforgiveness hold you hostage. You see, unforgiveness is like a prison cell that takes its victims hostage. And oftentimes, when you bottle up unforgiveness and resentment, the person that you hurt the most is yourself. In 2015, a young man named Dylan Roof, he attended a Bible study at Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, just a few years ago. At that Bible study, he opened fire and killed nine people that were at that Bible study inside of that church. We're living in times where, unfortunately, stories like this are a regular part of our news updates. Ain't that right? And of course, as you can imagine, this raised an uproar and made news headlines nationally everywhere. Everyone was talking about Dylan Roof and trying to figure out his motives. The normal reaction for family members of those who lost their lives, what should it have been? How should the family members of those that died, how should they have how should they have behaved? How should they have responded? Those that lost their attack, they should have responded with anger. Maybe they should have even responded with hatred. Most certainly they should have harbored bitterness and unforgiveness towards the person that took away the people that were most precious to them. But instead, At Dylan Roof's bond hearing, something else took place. One by one, maybe you guys remember this if you saw it in the news. One by one, many of the relatives of the deceased stood before him and did the unthinkable. They did the unimaginable thing. Much to the surprise of the whole world, they extended forgiveness towards him. The Washington Post uh, says this. It reported on one specific act of forgiveness. The Washington Post said this. I acknowledge that I'm very angry, said the sister of the Payne Middleton doctor. But one thing that the Payne always enjoined in our family is she taught me that we are the family that love built. We have no room for hating, so we have to forgive. I pray God on your soul. What could empower the family and the fellow members of Emmanuel AME Church in South, in, in, in North, in South Carolina to muster up enough courage to face the enemy? And instead of sharing malice and hatred and resentment, instead of doing all that, what would, what would make them extend forgiveness? Could it be that perhaps they embodied the very example left to us by Jesus? In fact, in the book of Ephesians, Paul tells us this. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, I would love if you guys would read it out loud with me. Ready? Go. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. You see, guys, Jesus modeled for us when he paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. He didn't deserve the punishment. In fact, we did. We sinned against a perfect and a holy God. We rebelled against God. Our sin is what merited separation, eternal separation from a perfect holy God. But Jesus extends forgiveness. He gives us forgiveness in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. That forgiveness of sin, that reconciliation with God is readily available to you today. You can experience that forgiveness today. All you have to do according to the Bible is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. And you too can experience that love, that mercy, and that forgiveness. 
What's, what's amazing is that because we've experienced so much mercy, because we've experienced so much forgiveness, because we've experienced grace, guess what? We too can extend that with others. We can extend forgiveness. We can share mercy. We can share grace. Guys, life is too short to harbor unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart. Who do you need to forgive? Who has hurt you? Whether they did it intentionally or unintentionally. Who do you need to extend forgiveness to? Forgiveness will release you from a prison of bitterness and help you live light and help you live free. Don't let unforgiveness hold you hostage. And I know for many of us here, perhaps you're holding on to unforgiveness, a grudge, or some sort of bitterness. Let it go. Who do you need to forgive? Don't allow unforgiveness to hold you captive in its prison. For this next commercial, we're going to show you how, like a good neighbor, we can be there. Neighborhoodofgood.com to volunteer in your community. Don't let me Be a good neighbor and bring hope to a hurting world. Be a neighbor and bring hope to a hurting world. How do we turn our caring into doing? See, that's the point of this commercial, right? That State Farm is trying to drive home is how do we turn that care that you have into action, actually doing something for one another? Now, we live in New York City, and it's a great city, right? But it's also a very hurting city. I mean, it's a grieving city, and it doesn't take as much to see that our city is grieving. Right? We can go to any community, any neighborhood. It doesn't really matter. It's not just here in Bushwick. In fact, it's in Park Slope. It's every community where you go, you can see the brokenness. Right? You can see the hurting. You can see the lonely. You can see the needy. You can see those who are hungry, those who are crying, those who need attention and love. But because we live in this city... It's so easy, right, to turn a blind eye to those needs. 
I take the train every day to work, and it's so easy for me to see someone come and say, all right, here's just another person, here's just someone else, or let me walk by this person standing here, sitting here, and I can so easily just turn by or so easily flip a coin and say, my job is done. It's so easy to numb the pain that's all around us, right? And just as the man in the commercial give a donation, like a cause on Facebook, share it. Right? And then walk away and think it's done and your job, your job is done. You did your good deed. But my question for us as a church, as the church, speaking directly to the church, aren't we called to do a little bit more than that? Can we do a little bit more? Jesus had something to say about being a good neighbor, didn't he? Some of you are familiar with the story where he tells about a man who was beaten, who was on his way to, to, to the town and he was beaten on the road by a couple of robbers and was left there to, de- to die on that road. And he tells the story after telling the people that you are to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Then he says, love your neighbor as ourselves. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And a lawyer stands up and he, and he shouts out this question to challenge Jesus. Then who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus responds with this story. And he tells about the man who was beaten on the road, left there to die. And a priest walks by and he sees the man bleeding on the street and he sees them there and he probably says a prayer and crosses the street and keeps on moving. And then another religious man, a Levite, comes on. He sees the man, probably says, man, God bless you. Here's whatever. And crosses the street on the other side and keeps on moving. And then a Samaritan person, a, 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 a neighbor who really doesn't, no one sees much of, right? No, expect much of him. That person goes over, sees the man on the road, bleeding, dying, about to die. And he goes and he tends to that person. He, he cleans the wounds. He picks up the person. He takes him to an inn and he takes care of him there. And he goes so far as to leave him at the end and tell the owner, hey, I'm going to leave him here for the night. Anything that he needs, give it to him and I will pay you back. And then Jesus ends the story with this question it's in your bulletin. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus told him, go and do the same. See, a good neighbor goes that extra mile, right? A good neighbor recognizes that anyone in front of them in need and hurt is their neighbor, deserves your love and attention. No matter what your position is, your status, your beliefs, their faith. Church, their faith, it doesn't matter if they're in need, they're a neighbor who deserves our love and attention. Now, I recognize living in New York City, right, that we can't possibly do everything for every single person. But we could do something. That's why at Swerve Church, we have several key core values. And one of our values is this. We recognize as a church, it's our call in our neighborhood and our role in our neighborhood is to be part of a larger church. So we say it this way. We say we are all about the capital C church. We can do infinitely more together than apart. See, it's an understanding that as the bride of Christ, as the church, we're committed to strapping on our boots, linking arms with one another and other organizations, partnering to bring hope to a hurting world. We value that at Swerve Church. Another value here at Swerve is we say this. We say we are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. We don't simply go to church. We are the church and we exist for the World, And I love it that I'm looking out in your faces and I see some of you saying it because that's who we are as a church. Let's turn our caring into doing. Let us be the hands and feet of Christ. Let us bring the hope of the good news that we have 
that you've heard already today, that God has come. Now we hold that so dear and let us bring it to our neighbors. In Romans 10, verses 14 to 15 says this, says, How then can they call on him they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? How can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. To our church, we are the beautiful feet to bring good news to our hurting neighbors. Let's turn our caring into doing. This next commercial will help us see that failure is an event, never a person. I think this last commercial will leave us all thinking about our failures in light of what God has already done for us. Dante, what are you looking at? commercial is that basketball is way better than football. That's the first thing we learned. The, uh, <laughs> the second thing we learned is this. If you're taking notes, failure is not the end of the line. Failure is not the end of the line. You know, Jesus was warning his disciples that the end of his life, it was coming to an end. His life was coming to an end and he would soon be betrayed and placed into the hands of his enemies. And they were ultimately, they would hang him up on a cross to be crucified and he even warned the disciples, you all, you, you guys, you're going to abandon me. You're going to leave me alone when I need you the most right when this happens. And in that moment, I could just imagine the disciples looking at each other with faces of confusion and disappointment. I mean, after all, this was the Messiah. They, they were certain of it. They saw this man walk on water. They saw him heal people who had um, these contagious skin diseases right in front of their eyes. They saw him multiply a little boy's lunchable and feed somewhere around 15 to 20,000 people. Could it be possible 
knowing that he was who he said he was and who they saw him be, would they actually run away? Finally, one of them spoke up. And he only said what they were all thinking. You know, Peter was famous for putting his foot in his mouth. And he stood up and he said, he looks Jesus square in the eyeballs. And he tells them, Jesus, are you kidding me? I'm not going to leave you, never. I don't know about these other goofballs over here, but I'm definitely, I'm never going to leave you. Me, nah, it's impossible. And Jesus looks back at Peter and he tells him, you know, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And Peter returns the glance to Jesus and, and with emotion, somewhere between insulted and challenged, he responds to Jesus and says, no way, even if I got to die with you. I'm never going to leave you. I'll never deny you. But sure enough, as the night's events transpired, just as Jesus had predicted, Peter denies even knowing or being with Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. And then the rooster crowed. He had failed. Did you ever find yourself in that moment? You were so confident in how life was playing out. You felt good about your progress. You felt good about your achievement. But all of a sudden, that failure happened. Maybe you said something you shouldn't have. Maybe you compromised morally. Maybe spiritually you feel disconnected or distant from God. Maybe you took some business risks that you didn't, that you didn't, it didn't pan out the way you thought it would. You, you were so certain it was going to be successful. And maybe you made some foolish financial decisions and now you have this huge debt over your back that you have to worry about. It ended up being extremely costly. Or perhaps a friendship or a relationship that was really strong, solid, but it came to a screeching halt because of an unwise decision or because of words shared. You know, whatever the failure you have experienced or maybe you're experiencing right now, you have to know this. Failure is not the end of the line. It wasn't for Peter, and it's not for you either. After Jesus rose from the dead, he met with Peter and with the disciples. In a discussion with Peter, he looks at Peter and he asks him three times, Hey Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter responds with tears dripping down his eyes and with a heavy heart as he remembers that he had not so that long ago had denied Jesus three times. He looks at Jesus. He says, Jesus, you know I love you. And Jesus looks back at him and challenges him. He says, then feed my sheep. If we fast forward to the book of Acts, we read that Peter was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he begins to share the gospel with tons of people. And people begin to repent of their sins and they turn to Jesus. Peter speaks with a newly found boldness. So much so that in Acts chapter 2 verse 32 says this, that Peter's words pierced the hearts of the people that were listening. And as a result, because failure was not the end of the line for Peter, we read about an amazing revival that broke out in Jerusalem. People were convicted of their sin and they saw their need for Jesus. And look at what it says in Acts chapter 2 verse 41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About how many? About 3,000 in all. Talk about revival. Failure wasn't the end of the line for Peter. And it doesn't have to be for you.
It doesn't have to be for you. Listen, your story isn't over. God's grace is sufficient for you here and now. Don't give up yet because God hasn't given up on you. The Bible says that he's the author and perfecter of our faith. And as long as there's breath in your lungs, there's another opportunity. Your failure doesn't have to determine your destination. Like Peter, you too can be restored. And like delicate jars of clay, God can pick up all those broken pieces and make something beautiful out of it. He can do that for you today as well. The failure isn't the end of the line. In many ways, it's just the beginning. I want to share with you guys, if you're here today, and if you never made a decision to follow Jesus, you haven't accepted that gospel message that we've shared several times throughout this message today, then I want to invite you to accept His saving grace. The Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and dead people can't do much. Jesus had to come and die on the cross so that we can experience life in Him. The Bible says He died. His perfect life, His perfect sacrifice on the cross was the perfect price, was, was the perfect payment for your sin and mine. But He didn't just die. He resurrected from the grave three days later, conquering Satan's sin and death. And in His life, you have newness of life. And if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart right now, telling you and calling you to come home. Then I want to encourage you to make that decision right now. Here's how we do it here. I swerve. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to call you to the front. But when you came in, you should have received the connection card. And I would love if everybody would take out that connection card right now because there's some important next steps for everybody that's here today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today, then I would love for you to check that off. And let us know, because in a moment, the, the offering bucket's going to go around. Feel free to go ahead and drop all your, your connection card in there and let us know. Because we want to come alongside you, encourage you, and help you in your walk with Jesus. How many of you guys like, uh, like those commercials? Do you guys like that? Let's, uh, let's close out in prayer. Would you guys join me in prayer? Lord. Help us live lives full of the joy of the Lord. As the word says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So restore to us your joy. For those of us that are harboring bitterness and resentment, free us from its grip. Free us from the prison of unforgiveness. Help us follow the example of Jesus and extend forgiveness to others. Thank you that failure is not the end of the line. Where we may have fallen, I pray, Lord, you would lift us up. Restore us for your glory. Pick up the broken pieces of our life and mend them together like how only you can. And when it's all said and done, may our lives point people to Jesus. We pray this in your precious son's name. Amen and amen.